0: You gonna learn some jazz so mm-hmm. you gonna dance you gon' learn, you gon' learn, you gon' learn It was just past one, went to three, man With a four or five step to the door like, oh my gosh Just throw that cash in a back bag Run around the back and pull up the track Cause yo, couldn't believe them stories conceived For no reason, please just go and leave them Fake is in season, but we not them Cause nowadays, you couldn't find me On the BBC, CCTV, NBC Them camera program me. Better them try to go
1: and see Guys. Welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 59, not quite episode 60, which should have been a nice way to start off this next season. Um, so we just finished up Season Freedom uh, in our last episode, episode 58, finishing up with talking with everyone working on interoperability, working on you know freedom-enhancing tools, you know, trying to sort of expand the general space. And so now we're moving into uh, what we like to call Season Bull Run, um, so this will be mostly be trying to have discussions with uh, investors in the space, speculators in the space, um, et cetera, and sort of just sort of like work our way down the line to the different, you know, important stakeholders and that make up the overall governance of crypto. Uh, and so, you know, that includes the retail investors, the developers, the foundations, cooperatives, et cetera. And so, you know, we're going to try and focus on those that are helping to, one, bring liquidity into space, manage assets, and also invest into, like, other projects and things like that. Um, and so, you know, as myself, you know, as an investor, too, through Momentum, you know, I'm, it's, it's always great to, like, talk and learn uh, from, from other individuals like that in the space. Uh, and so the, this season will mostly be focused on that. And joining me again Uh, for another awesome season. Uh, Dimitri is a little bit busy and tied up lately, so today I was able to just get Corey Petty on here with me. So, uh, Corey, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience for episode 59?
2: Absolutely. Excited about the new season. Hope it's aptly named. Uh, I'm Dr. Corey Petty from the Bitcoin Podcast Network and Status. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, token economics research over the past years and uh, excited to kind of get into this part of the discussion with different different types of people we haven't done that yet and so i think it's going to be fun Oh right. well you guys don't don't you guys
1: talk about that stuff on hashing it out podcast
2: or is it mostly just the low level stuff it's mostly low level technicals um we haven't gotten into crypto economics yet we may end up doing that but uh, i'm not sure yet
1: mm, mm, okay well um well that being said are the perfect guests to have on from the space and i'm sure if you're in crypto uh, and you've definitely heard of him before, very handsome gentleman, uh, Ari Paul, uh, one of one of the more popular faces on crypto Twitter, uh, looks really great in glasses. Um, so essentially, so we're going to be talking to uh, uh, him today about his firm and but not necessarily what he does, because most are probably familiar with him. So we'll just try and give you a brief introduction, give you a brief introduction, excuse me. Uh, and then we'll kind of just go into other topics, uh, you know, maybe like, you know, token engineering, things like that. Like Petty mentioned, Greg uh, governance, you know, we'll just sort of riff on it. So Ari, uh, that being said, can you just introduce yourself to the audience and just give us a, however you feel is the most brief introduction of yourself?
3: Yeah. Hey, Stephen. Um uh, first, uh, really a pleasure uh, to be on here. Every time I've chatted with you over the last couple of years, I've always learned a lot. So uh, you know, I've, I've appreciated our friendship and and um, it you know in, in how I define myself, I on my Twitter handle I use student, uh, and that is very much how I think of myself in the space. And you, you've been a great teacher, so thank you for that. Um, thank but, you. Yeah, the really the really brief intro. Uh, I was in the traditional financial world first as a derivatives trader, trading options, electricity, uh, commodities, treasury bonds. Then I was a Portfolio Manager for the U Chicago Endowment, which is kind of very long-term investing. Uh, so I, I really only joined the crypto world in 2017. I'd been investing before that, but I didn't really kind of join the community until 2017. And um, yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, I, I love this industry because there's just so much to learn and so much changing and, and we get to, it's, it's a really interesting mix of being a futurist and a philosopher and trying to think about, you know, uh, how this is going to impact geopolitics and, and humanity.
1: Yeah, and so and so, perfect introduction. And so, like that being said, uh, where you are now, and we can be just as succinct. Uh, maybe you can just give us a just a quick introduction on what you're doing now as the head of Block Tower.
3: Yeah, so in uh, 2017, uh, I co-founded Block Tower, which is a crypto investment firm, and um, yeah, we we kind of do everything: uh, active trading, uh, early stage investing, you know, kind of anything and everything.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And so like that being said, so you've been in this space for you know, a relatively you know, short period of time compared to some most people. But, you know, you're really pretty relatively well known. Um, why do you think that is? Where do, you, where do you where did you find yourself interjecting yourself first as a relative newcomer coming in and around like, 2017 from a more traditional finance background? Where, where did you find your place where, you know, you were able to like kind of like, pick up everything and kind of really get up to speed?
3: Yeah, you know, honestly, no one was more surprised than me that I, like, shot to prominence in 2017 so quickly. Uh, and the reason for that, really simple. Um, I think there was just a lack of kind of air quotes Wall Street people uh, public in crypto. And so the crypto community had – there was real demand for for basics from Wall Street. So, like, I'll do tweetstorm Really simple – Introductions to how options work and how that might apply to crypto, and thinking about portfolio management, risk management, and applying that to crypto. And so I think there was just a lot of demand for that content. Um, And then similarly on Wall Street, I I think basically I think I was a translator. So I would pitch crypto to Wall Street in Wall Street's own language, and I and I would explain to the crypto world why people like Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon were wrong. Right? Like like Mm -hmm. I I think part of the reason people liked me was in 2017 you had all these financial luminaries, you had Pete, you know, Nobel Prize-winning economists, you had billionaire hedge fund managers. All saying that Bitcoin's a bubble, and then you had someone like me saying, "Hey guys, I come from that world. I understand their arguments, and here's why they're wrong." You know, and and that's a message that is is very well received.
2: That's that's a hundred percent true. And I've always found that like the translators that can put a foot in both both, si- both sides end up becoming um, like surfacing to the like the top much much quicker because. They have a larger audience right you can, you can you can talk to both people you can speak both languages and in the process of that you can break down things in the language that of the people you're talking to and a part of that is, is like kind of where i want to go with the question is um a lot of people who do i guess evaluations or try and view cryptocurrency um from a traditional financial perspective tend to use models from the financial world which don't quite encompass um like the breadth of cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is a brand new asset in my opinion it transcends the idea of, of old money um which means that the models you use from from previous places can never actually fully grasp that type of thing do you have any given like insight as to like what people are doing now or like type of changes that need to be made to start actually getting a better picture of what cryptocurrency could be is a like from a from a financial perspective
3: Totally agree. Yeah, I, I never try to twist Wall Street models to fit crypto. Uh, it's more like um, more applying high level concepts. So for example, like, mm-hmm. um, especially in the investment side. So if, if you're managing a portfolio of crypto assets, in some ways that's similar to a, a portfolio of, of, of FX or commodities, things like risk management don't change that much, but totally agree. Um, I don't know that there's, in, when, it, when you're talking about actual financial modeling for like longer term investments, like, you know, what is something worth? I've actually found very little valuable from wall street um there are some assets like um the uh binance coin or leo the bitfinex coin that are somewhat like equity where you can try to apply kind of a a discounted cash flow model even there i try to constantly caution people like hey guys this isn't equity you don't have the same legal rights there's all this counterparty risk you know um but but to value something like ethereum or bitcoin i haven't found anything useful from wall street really uh so it it is a new world um and, and that's something i love so you know, you, you have things like the FAT protocol thesis from Joel Manegro, uh, and then Chris Bernisky adding MV equals PQ, and then everything from Willy Woo's on-chain stuff to, um, you know, there's a constant iteration of new valuation methods. They're all so broad, so high level, so abstract. Um, I think they're good as thought experiments. I, I don't have a concrete model. I, I'll tell you, the, the, only, the only asset I have any model for really is Bitcoin. And here's the mental model I use. I think the addressable market that it's trying to answer is, uh, the closest analogy is the offshore banking system, which is 20 to 30 trillion. And the offshore banking system, it is used for uh, things like illegal activity, but it's also used by every large US company and every billionaire in the world, even law abiding ones. And they want to have their assets stored in a seizure resistant way. So like the, this, is, this is the example I use that converts the most people on Wall Street to Bitcoin. Um, it's Amazon has money in the offshore banking system. Why? Because if they didn't, if they had all of their assets in New York State Bank, a single judge could freeze their account pre-trial and Amazon would have to shut their doors the next day because they would be insolvent. So mm-hmm. if you're Amazon, it's not that you want to get away with illegal activity. It's that you want to have your day in court, and you really you want to have your five to ten years in court. So you have assets spread all over the world in all different legal jurisdictions so that one capricious judge in New York State can't just arbitrarily shut you down. So my mental model is uh, I think Bitcoin is competing with the offshore banking system, but it's much, much, much better. Uh, and if everyone around the world could make use of that, you know in a cell phone app with five thousand dollars or even a hundred dollars and no friction at all, how many more people would have would have the equivalent of a Swiss bank account? So I'm pretty confident that use case is something like fifty plus trillion. And then you say, OK, well, what are the odds Bitcoin wins that? Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe Ethereum wins, maybe something else wins. So you apply some discount to that, very similar to a seed stage VC mindset. You know, so, OK, the addressable market is 50 trillion. Maybe we think this project has a 10 percent chance of capturing that or a 5 percent. So that gives you at least some super like basically that's the only model I have. And it's kind of like an early stage VC approach to new, new technology. Mm-hmm.
1: So that being said, taking an early stage VC approach, um, when it comes to, you know, block tower and new, new all's investments, um, do you guys generally focus on, you know, just like uh, passively or like actively trading in a hedge style manner against like the general markets. Or are you, are you guys like set up to also make investments in a VC standpoint? What, what are you all like normal focus and, 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 and of that, which gives you what are you most interested in right now?
3: Yeah, Um. I, maybe I'd frame it this way. so i'm I'm in I'm I'm an investor in this industry because I believe in the giant long-term potential. Yep. my day job uh, is is mostly is more on the active side. My My personal background is as a trader uh, mm-hmm. and a, and also a portfolio manager, but not really. I was never a VC professionally. Mm-hmm. So um but Blocktower does also do some early stage investing. Uh, it's a minority of what we do. It's not the primary focus. Um, frankly, part of the reason that I, I like us doing everything is, this is such a tiny industry and there's so many synergies uh, it, synergy is a terrible word but mm-hmm. um what i mean by that is it's very I, I don't know what it means to be an investor in liquid tokens and ignore the illiquid because mm-hmm, it's such mm-hmm. an artificial mm-hmm. divide right like you might have a more yeah. mature project that is not yet exchange listed and you have a bunch of exchange listed projects where the mainnet hasn't even launched right you have an erc20 placeholder so if i invest in ethereum and I completely ignore all the early-stage competitors to Ethereum, I feel like I'm not doing my job. Like, I kind of need to compare the liquid and the illiquid. So I want to be looking at those early-stage deals to know what might come and displace Ethereum or Bitcoin or, you know, something else.
1: Does does your prevailing sentiment and thoughts around the sort of illiquid and unlaunched side have... Does it change, like, your day-to-day or month-to-month trading strategies Um, When you look at the overall market, when you say, hey, like if this is a position I would rather go short against or this is a position I'd rather go long against, are you also comparing it against like a string of maybe soon to launch or potentially soon to launch projects?
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Usually not day-to-day, but it does more thematically. So, for example, like in 2017, especially late 2017, there was a theme that there were all of these ICOs that were theoretical Ethereum killers. And they were all – or I don't say all, but you know, pretty much they were kind of garbage. They were minor iterations. They're like, oh, let's take Ethereum and add this one little thing, which makes no sense. Um, anyone out there who's going to launch a new protocol – you have to be 10x better than one that exists today you can't you can't be iterative you can't take on facebook saying you're going to be facebook with one extra feature right like this is all <laughs> about network effects so that was a that that whole string of icos was dumb but you know we we saw <laughs> that wave coming and we saw the attention it was getting and the interest um, and that did impact my thinking on how Ethereum was likely to do, you know, at, at, around that stage. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's less day-to-day and a little more thematic. Um, here be, here's another example. Like, if we see a bunch of early-stage projects that look like they might leapfrog Monero and Zcash on privacy tech, that might impact, you know, my thinking on, on those assets over the next six months.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Take similar approach to momentum, you know, kind of just like taking a high-level view of the overall prevailing sentiment both, you know, financially in the, in the existing liquid markets, but also technically on both the liquid and on the liquid side on, you know, string of milestones, releases, et cetera, that might affect the overall market. And then you also have to make the consideration of, you know, the likelihood of the, I guess, the pedigree of those teams actually getting exchange listings in any, any viable markets that would actually make them competitive to even generate yourself any alpha. Uh, And, you know, depending on how you have things set up. So, yeah, so I I, I take a similar approach. The
3: the one other thing I'd add, uh, so like one thesis I have that uh, is is one of my more strongly held ones is that gaming is going to be a really interesting thing in the crypto ecosystem over the next few years. Probably one of the first uh, mainstream use cases. And when I'm looking at the base protocols like Ethereum, uh, Tron, EOS, all of those, and we're trying to figure out, okay, where is there going to be the most adoption and usage and growth uh, over the next year or two, right? Like, forget about your long-term view on on Tron or EOS. Um, Where are developers going to build? Is Ethereum going to get all of that share? And so, like, we talked to a lot of early-stage DApp projects, and, you know, like, there was briefly a period uh, where a bunch said they were looking at Tron, and and another period where a bunch said they were looking at EOS. And so, you know, that obviously matters to, um, like, I, I think it was a placeholder that just published their valuation metric for protocols which is just basically you measure the value of the tokens on top um i view that as another thought experiment like i certainly wouldn't use that as a valuation technique explicitly but it is interesting to think about and so you know if we saw a massive wave of real estate projects that are going to build on lightning let's say and we we you know saw that they were credible they might get consumer adoption uh that would certainly be bullish bitcoin and bullish the equity of lightning startups you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll say on that point, like you do see a hint of it, but it's still super hard to build a consumer app on lightning. Like it still feels a little too early uh, for that to really take off.
2: Yeah, I was kind of curious, like um, I feel like the, the, the scope of things to keep track of these days has gotten so broad. So it's almost it's almost impossible. Maybe it's not. You can tell me this to uh, keep a, a, a full perspective on what's happening across the board. Uh, how do you how do you parse through the muck of good projects, bad projects, quantity of projects to try and get that kind of uh, get get those overall trends to see to to make those decisions?
3: Oh man, it's it it is impossible, I think, to keep track of everything. Uh, I I used to feel guilty about that. Now I just accept it as the reality. Um, so I I think actually in 2017, a funny comment, uh, Zuko Wilcox, the founder of Zcash, asked me if I would heard of some project. I forget what it was, and I said no, I haven't heard of it. And he was he was feeling bad that he uh, like hadn't heard of this privacy focused project. And it's like you know, I, I Stephen and Corey like we're all working crazy hours. We're in this ecosystem. We're living, breathing, and drinking it. And there's so much. I don't know about you guys. Maybe but for me at least, there's so much that I don't hear about. Um, oh yeah,
1: I, I used yeah. to think that I could keep up with everything, and then I was at some point within the past maybe eight months to a year, where I was like, nope. Yep.
2: <laughs> I can yeah, no, vote. now. I, I, I used I, to yeah. be able to. I used to do it regularly, and I like I was proud of that. And then I got to a point where I was like, I am miserable trying to, and I'm not even be capable of doing it. So you have to kind of specialize in some way.
3: Yeah, I, I think you can, can, can just accept that. And it, it matters less than you might think on the investment side. So on, on the tech side, it probably matters a lot because you wouldn't want to be building on an obsolete technology or miss, mm-hmm. you know, a major. As an investor, though, um, you don't it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because basically you can get in as long as you're ahead of the herd. It doesn't really matter when you get in as long as you're ahead of the masses. Right. And so for those of us who are, you know, insiders, I don't know if that's a great word, but like, you know, living and breathing the industry, we can be pretty confident we're going to get in ahead of pensions, right? Like whatever that new thing is, if if we thought that, um, you know, pick your favorite protocol outside of the biggest ones, if we thought that was going to conquer the world, at least for some niche, you and I uh, and, and the listeners here are, are certainly going to have heard of it before a pension investment, in you know? Mm-hmm. So I, that, that's what lets me sleep at night that um, I don't need the, to be the first person to identify the next killer protocol. I just need to be ahead of the herd. And frankly, that's, that's fairly easy, I think, because, you know, I mean, 99.9% of the world barely knows what Bitcoin is.
1: Uh, yeah, it's true. I guess. And it just depends on the scale and how much money you have access to, whether it's, your own personal wealth or institutional wealth it's it's if, as long as you're at least ahead of the game and you're here now and you're following it day to day you're probably going to hear an inkling of something worth something way before you know anyone with enough bags to put it anywhere near anything exciting yeah you uh,
3: you, you, you might miss the seed rounds but like you know and, and that matters of course but but mm-hmm. in, in the big picture so what right like maybe maybe you didn't mind bitcoin in 2010 maybe you got in in 2012 you're still pretty happy today
2: yeah of course there's absolutely. a there's, there's at least a trend there that you, you should be aware of and that is, um, whenever you stop trying to go to the source of everything and, and figure it all out for yourself, you tend to rely on people who aggregate, aggregate information. So you're kind of trusting someone else to feed you proper information, or you're or you're you're relying on different sources that aren't aren't you you specifically. And that that leaves a little bit of room to um, catch the bias of someone else. And in this industry, because it's so small and swayed uh, by money, that can be a dangerous thing. And I think you have to look out for that. And you, as an investor. I feel like those you're the audience that people like that would normally go after, or at least try to get the the mind share or attention of. Have you have you have you witnessed that? Felt that? Are you aware of that?
3: Yeah, totally. You know, this is actually, it's one of the very few things I think I'm good at, um, which is weighing Hmm. competing expert opinions and, and divine and uh, kind of separating out their biases. So yeah, I mean, this is like, look, I'm I'm non-technical. I don't pretend to be a cryptographer and engineer. Um, I I rely entirely on technical experts to tell me what's real. Uh, And the, the very best technical experts in the space will air quotes lie and and lie in air quotes meaning they will make declarative definitive statements with total oh, confidence that are yes. wrong um, <laughs> because of their biases right. <clears throat> I mean like one of my favorite examples and i'll use him because he's he's uh so brilliant i I think he's there's a few people like in the world that i view as like scary brilliant uh vitalik is is definitely one of them greg maxwell is another uh these are people like you look at greg maxwell's work on the cutting edge of bitcoin development like there probably aren't that many people in the world who can even follow it and you have someone like maxwell who early in bitcoin's life famously said that he had proven that bitcoin could never work like he literally wrote wrote on a message board, I have mathematically proven that Bitcoin doesn't work, right? He, he, he of course, then was converted and, and his statement actually wasn't even wrong. He was kind of claiming, he was proving, I think, if I remember right, that uh, Bitcoin's model wasn't truly Byzantine fault tolerant. So he was actually right. It just happens to work in practice. Um, but the point is that, you know, if you're turning to Maxwell for a judgment on Ethereum, you know there's a lot of bias there right he's a million times smarter than me but i can still discount his opinion and adjust for bias and same is true of course of, of the ethereum experts of you know so um i think what you have to do is you 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 have to collect competing opinions like i hear so if i'm trying to evaluate a new privacy coin i'm going to ask you know ricardo of monero zuko Wilcox of zcash their opinion on it if both of them tell me begrudgingly that it's not a total scam maybe there's something there <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man yeah no you yeah, know I, I definitely i definitely can agree there so so that being said outside of just like the general i guess technical portion like where do you if if you guys are going to make like for instance like early stage related investments are those mm-hmm. are those usually sort of like inbounded from like your generalized like network or, or like i heard there are, are there ever actually instances where it's oh this person is actually brilliant and they have an idea here, and I'm going to put everything in front of them to make this a thing.
3: Um, there've been a, there've been a couple cases where it was a little more of the latter. But frankly, we're not uh, at least currently we're not structured terribly well to be a like really early seed stage VC firm that is scouting talent. I'm I'm kind yeah, of relying for- on other firms to do that, and then they'll either bring us into the round because um, you know they they we they think we can add value, or, or even mm-hmm. if they just want capital. Um, one thing I've tried to focus on a little bit is um, projects that are less technical. So, like, I'm not going to be as good at, uh, you know, validating an early stage protocol as you are or as Polychain is or as a lot of other firms are that are much more technically focused. Where I think we might, um, you know, have more of a comparative advantage is on things on that are a little more commercial focused. So there's a lot of crypto projects, even, prod, even DApps, for example, where... Obviously, the tech has to be right, but it's not really a tech project. I mean, I'll use a a non-crypto project. You look at Facebook. Facebook is not a tech company. Right. Yes, their servers have to work. Yes, their data centers have to function. Yes, you know all of that matters. But as an investor, you don't look at it as a tech company. You look at it as a consumer company. You know. So I think the same is true in crypto. There's a lot of DApp projects where uh, you need to confirm that their engineers know what they're doing. But really, it's a bet on the go-to-market, on consumer acquisition, on uh, you know, on on the business side. And those are the projects where I think we can also add more value, just because we have, you know we have a little more experience in that area.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, it's one of those situations where, like, we're, we have a lot of people. I'd say the ma- vast majority of people right now who are developing things, looking at um, really, really low layers in the stack. There are a lot of engineers, cryptographers, people who have kind of actually now gone to cryptocurrency school in, in some way, shape, or form in university and got degrees that way. But uh, what we're lacking in a lot of ways is is, is user facing applications that just work for them. Uh, that utilize a lot of the tech that, that a lot, everyone else is building, and I think the next wave of things is going to be that type of stuff, or at least the big thing, like what would people say, like the uh, the adoption killer, or like the, the killer app, or what actually brings mass adoption, things like that. It's going to be something that people. Uh, here, let, me, let me give you an example of something I always say. Um, when I was younger, I I didn't have an Xbox. Uh, I only reason I got one is because I needed to play Halo Two. That's the only reason. And so I I had to buy the tech to facilitate the need. And right now, there, is, there isn't a lot of need right now in cryptocurrency for, for people who don't quite understand it or care about it to go out and use it.
3: Totally. I forget who it was. It was either in Jason Horowitz or USV published uh, a good piece on, on, on the debate. Basically, which comes first, the tech or the applications? Oh, yeah. it was uh,
1: That was USV, and that was uh, Danny Grant and another person, that friend of mine.
3: Yeah. Um, I think uh, maybe Nick. Nick... Uh... I'm going to mess up his last name. I apologize. And Nick Nick Newly made partner USB. I think he co-authored mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great piece. And, and just to summarize it for the listeners, uh, and, and if you Google, uh, what would they have to Google? Pro- it's on the USV blog. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I'll look it
1: up while you talk. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. I mean, their thesis was basically just uh, that it, it there is no single answer. That it's iterative. Yeah. That basically you get. You get a little bit of tech and some hobbyists play with it and you get a little bit of adoption and then the tech is a is a limiting factor right and and you can't get more adoption so then there's more tech then there's more adoption then there's more tech um so you know i i think prior to maybe 2017 There was a general sense that, um, like 2017, there were so many ICOs that were consumer-focused, and then we realized it's too early. Uh, There isn't, you know, we need need more scalability first. We need more um, stability in protocols. We need, you know, uh, like, it's very hard to talk about having to store. If you're going to talk about storing, like, tokenized assets, and there's even questions around multisig, you know, and security around that, like, um, and, and then also the infrastructure in the industry. So things like custody, Like, if you're trying to pitch a casual user to buy your token to play a game, and they have to use a ledger, a hardware wallet... Uh, and and it, I have this debate constantly with people in crypto. They're like, "Ari, you're an idiot. Ledgers are not hard to use. Um, your grandmother's not going to use one. And, and your your sister and your, I don't mean, I don't mean to single out loud, Your brother's probably not going to use one. Um, you know, they they still have a, a couple hours of learning curve. And the idea that you could lose your money if you fail to back up your seed properly is pretty terrifying to the average person. So mm-hmm. you know, the general infrastructure of the industry also wasn't. Uh, and probably it, I think we're we're getting really close. Um, but like, no one's going to use MetaMask. Period, you know, and and by no one I mean, you know, I I view MetaMask as kind of like a command line interface. Like engineers in the '70s were like, "What do you mean emails hard to use? You just, you know, compile your email in, in a you know Linux command line." Um, but the average person's not gonna use a command line. The average person's never gonna use MetaMask. The average person isn't isn't even gonna use a, a, a modern hardware wallet because they're they're not plug and play, right? Like we're now in a world where. The iPhone, uh, Steve Jobs, obsessed over whether it would take three or four clicks to get into the heart of an application from the uh, main screen, you know? So I think we're finally at the point where um, the simplest use cases uh, are ready for that. Ethereum DeFi, I think, is is, is pretty much ready. Um, you know, they're working on UI, uh, but, you know, it's kind of ready. Um, games, I think scalability has effectively been solved. So, like, we run a Loom validator, for example, uh, and you don't need... L one level security to you know to store your level ten wizard. Um, so I, I think scalability is basically solved for a lot of minor use cases. Um, so it, it is largely a UI issue. Um, looking at the gaming space, there haven't been that many games that are just fun to play that you would just actually yeah, want to play absolutely. if you were excited about crypto. And I I think I'm optimistic that's going to change. We we are seeing you know real fun game development uh, i actually have an analyst who works with me steve lee and i've tasked him with playing a lot of these games <laughs> and it's oh, not what a terrible job. job it's terrible it, and he, it's funny the first day i had him do it he lost like a hundred dollars uh through metamask and it's not you know and that's common like even engineers will say they, they make some mistake on metamask and end up losing money because it's just it's awkward it's um but you know we are seeing the first wave of games that could just be playable on their own. And then you tap the crypto. Like, here's how here's how I think it's going to work. You're going to download a game on your iPhone app. You're going to get to level five, not even knowing it's a crypto game. It's just a fun viral game. It's Angry Birds, you know? And then at level five, you get a pop-up message that says, hey, by the way, if you want to transfer your items into our sister game, you can do that. If you want to sell your items or your character on eBay, you can do that because you own your stuff. And here's how. But you won't have to do it. It'll be a fun add-on to an already viral game.
1: Oh, I agree. And And, and by the way, the 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 article you were referencing before is called "The Myth of the Infrastructure Phase," and that was written by Danny Grant and Nick Grossman from Union Square Ventures.
3: Yes, Grossman, uh, yeah, 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 the guy.
1: Yep. And so and so, uh, you know, like that being said, you know, uh, is there is there any like applications or is there any like DeFi related, you know, activities, platforms, etc., that give you a more either like bullish outlook on the the space in the short or indoor midterm or do you see us still kind of through an uh you know another like maybe short in midterm like exploratory phase before we get there again
3: It it is going somewhat slowly like I'm, I'm not seeing i i think we are seeing some daps that are getting closer to that viral level but i don't i don't know that we're there yet i i, I personally haven't seen the game or the dap that i'm like man, I can totally see this just organically going viral once it's in the iPhone store, you know? Um, I haven't quite seen that. Like, like, I think we're getting there, but it, my guess on this bull run, um, and to tie it into the, the name of your new season, um, I, I do think for the next six months, probably 12 to 18, this is still probably more a store value story. I think uh, it's going to be slow to get to that point where, you know, it, basically the promise of 2017 of all these killer dApps, uh, I don't really see that in the next six months. I think it's more like 12 to 18, um, and that's that's optimistic. That's hoping that uh, you know that, that people create some great DApps with great UIs.
1: Agree, Petty. And so um, the last question here, is, Petty, if you don't have another one, um, okay. But it it's it's gonna kind of just like closing up with just like your thought around like you know what lessons have you learned as you know an asset manager in the space you transitioned from the traditional finance uh, space. Aside from always being, you know, a student and always being open to learn from different subject matter experts, which is always important when you're going into any new jargon-heavy, you know, um, uh, industry, but hope to, you know, transition over other cross-disciplinary skills. Aside from that, what is, what, is, what is the lesson that you've picked up through your transition that is very important from someone who might be looking out from the outside, from traditional finance, and looks to move into crypto?
3: Um. Let's see. So specific to me, the thing that I really didn't anticipate, so I I, I was very aware that crypto has these bull bear cycles that every two, two and a half years, we've had 80% plus crashes. I fully expected that cycle to repeat. What I didn't really take into account was the impact that would have on the business side. So the idea that you have to deal with like hiring and HR in the top of a raging bull market, which presents its own challenges, right? Everyone's confident they're going to make a million dollars in the next month and uh, everyone becomes very short-sighted. And then dealing Mm -hmm. with HR at the depths of a bear market where people are thinking about should I even stay in the industry? And is is crypto dead? And, you know, uh, people's family members ringing them and saying, you know, are you okay? And all that stuff, right? So having to deal with um, both the bull and bear side of running a business at those extremes so close together, uh, definitely, you know, was a lot of work and kind of caught me off guard. Um, And to tie that into like a, a broader lesson, I think um, like I'm always surprised. People in traditional finance would be like, "Ari, did the fact that Bitcoin fell 80% invalidate your hypothesis?" And it's like, no. That's what it does every two and a half years. Like that's part of the model almost. It it is a boom bust cycle for a bunch of reasons that even Satoshi explored. Satoshi kind of predicted that and said that's part of how you get adoption is is through that speculative greed. You know. Um, so similarly, uh, when people enter the space, either as traders, investors, as developers, be mentally prepared for that. It's not if, it's when you'll have another 80% crypto crash where the public media declares the crypto's dead. If you mentally are prepared for that, it's almost like the stoic mentality of like practicing poverty. Like tell yourself, like it, it, this. This is less of a message for now. This is more of a message for hopefully in six or 12 months when we're in a mania phase. Uh, and you know, every, the question isn't if, it's when Ethereum will be $10,000 a coin. Um, when that's happening, remind yourself this will fall 80, 90%. At some point, my relatives will ask me if I was an idiot for being in this industry. You know, be mentally prepared for that.
1: Yeah, of course. And if you sold at the top that time because you learn your lesson this time, hopefully then you'll have enough left over in your treasury when you pay your taxes to take care of yourself and you can buy, <laughs> you can buy back low. And, uh, you know, that's that's the importance of crypto. It's just like I always, I made this joke many times and it's just like you come in early and if you've been in crypto within two years, there's a good chance that, you're gonna end up having to evangelize yourself back to black uh, because you're gonna have eventually caught yourself in the wrong end of one of these cycles, and you're just gonna to have to learn, learn, learn until you're back above water. And uh, and so yeah. So so that being said, thank you for coming on, Ari. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us again. Uh, and you know, please please continue to you know share and educate and you know be a translator for the industry i definitely uh, appreciate your particular flavor and it's always been a pleasure working with you and learning alongside you uh collaboratively uh, in this industry so you know thank you for all that you do and uh petty do you have anything else to say no all good thanks for coming on i really really enjoyed that
3: thanks so much Stephen and corey
1: yep thank you very much Ari, and we'll have you back on hopefully in the future in the midst of all the mania and then we'll see how your thesis has changed I don't know. Maybe you'll get really exuberant and turn into a moon man.
3: <laughs> Who knows?
0: We'll
1: see. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it.
3: Maybe. Maybe. Cheers, guys. Thank you. All right. All right. Have
1: a good day. you going to learn
0: some jazz to as you. You gon' learn, you gon' learn, you gon' learn It was just past one, went to three, man With a four, five step to the door like Oh my gosh, just throw that cash in a back bag Run around the back and pull up the track Cause yo, couldn't believe them stories conceived For no reason, please just go and leave them Fake in season, but we not them Cause nowadays, you couldn't find me On the BBC, CCTV, NBC Them can program me. Better them try to go and see